So glad that you are here with us this morning. It's been a great day of worship already, hasn't it? I hope that it's going to continue. That's our goal this morning. We're going to continue to worship uh, through what the Lord is going to show us in His Word this morning. We are go- coming to the conclusion of Psalm 23, and it, we've, we've spent eight weeks covering six verses in Psalm 23. And today we're going to look at the final verse of that, and I hope that you have been encouraged, that you've been strengthened. I want you to know just personally, the Lord has taught me so much in my study and preparation for these messages, and, and I hope that you have been encouraged and strengthened to understand Psalm 23 on a much deeper level. We said at the very beginning that Psalm 23 can become a dangerous psalm in our life because we are so familiar with it. And sometimes I believe what the Lord wants us to do is take what is familiar and dig deeper so that we can understand that there's, there's more truth than we can see on the surface. And so I hope that that's what you've experienced uh, through this series. I want us, before we camp out in verse 6, I want us to go back and start with verse 1 and walk through the psalm and kind of review a few of the of key things that, that we've seen that, that David is saying in Psalm 23. Verse 1 is like the chorus of the song. You know, the chorus of any song is the theme for everything that the song talks about. It's the central theme. And so for David, Psalm 23, verse 1, is the theme of everything he's going to say after that. And verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that's an expression of David to say that he is confident that the Lord is going to meet his needs. And we said that that expresses both confidence in the fact that God is going to provide everything that he needs, but it also communicates contentment in the fact that I'm not going to want for anything more than the Lord provides for me because I know he's taking care of me. And so I don't have to want for more than he provides. He's going to provide everything that I need, and I will be content in living in his provision. And sometimes we as people, that can be difficult because we are selfish and we're greedy and we want more and more. But David says, because God is so good, I shall not want. And so then in the verses after that, he, he expounds more. On what he means. Verse 2 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters. That verse is about the fact that God allows us to rest in his provision, that he makes sure that we are fed, he makes sure that we have everything we need, he cares for us. And that he doesn't just quench the hunger and thirst that we have for material things, for food, for for all of those necessities. He does take care of those things. But even more than that, he takes care of our soul's thirst and our soul's hunger spiritually. And then he moves on into verse 3 and says, He restores my soul because life gets hard, doesn't it? And sometimes life can beat us and break us and we have to be Restored, We have to be put back together. And, and David says, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He gives us forgiveness when we fall. And you remember that, that picture of the sheep who had turned cast and upside down and had 
fallen over and it can't get back up on its own unless the shepherd comes and picks it up, puts it back on his feet and restores it so it can continue to walk. And that's why God restores us. When we fall and when we're broken, he, he restores us. Not, not so that we can just stand back up and live in our own selfishness, but so we can continue to walk, so we can continue to follow him and not stay in the same place. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. David talks about the dark valleys in life. And though we are following the shepherd, even when we are staying close to him, sometimes not only will we find ourselves in the dark valley, it will mean that we have followed the shepherd into the dark valley. That that's part of the journey sometimes. And sometimes to get to the high mountaintops where the green grass is, it requires that we walk through the paths of the valleys to get to the top. But even when we're in the darkness of the valley, the pitch black where we can't see anything, he says, I'm not going to be afraid. Why? Because the shepherd can see everything. Later on in Psalm 139, David would say, the darkness is not even dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. That even when we're in that pitch black darkness and we can't see anything around us and we don't know where it's safe to go and we don't know what direction to turn, his presence is there. And we're not alone in the dark. And he leads us through that. His presence takes away the fear in our lives. And his rod is his word. And how the shepherd would use the rod to correct the sheep. To discipline the sheep. To give them them guidance and instruction. And and God does that with his word. And then the, the staff of the shepherd is that thing that he would use to nudge. He would reach out and he would touch the sheep. To lead them in the direction he wanted them to go. And that's the Holy Spirit. That we, can, that we feel a connection to the shepherd through the Holy Spirit. As that staff, as he reaches out and he leads us and he nudges us along the way. And sometimes when we're in danger, he'll use the crook of that staff to, to hook around us and pull us back close to him. Sometimes we wander off as sheep, right? Because sheep are dumb, right? And so we wander off and sometimes he uses the Holy Spirit to hook and, and pull us closer to him to say, hey, I want you back here where it's safe. I want you close to me. Then verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. In verse 5, David goes beyond just saying that, that God takes care of my needs and he gives me everything I need. But he says he does it extravagantly. He does it with purpose. He does it with, with great kindness. He prepares a table before me. And he welcomes me into his presence. Just like when, when you have somebody in your home, you're going to prepare the table. You're going to prepare the meal. And when he says, you anoint my head with oil as a greeting, a blessing, when someone comes into their home in that time, they would anoint their head with oil as to say, welcome. We're, we're glad that you're here. We want to serve you. We want to be a host to you. We want to take care of you. And that's what Jesus does with us. He, he invites us into fellowship, into relationship with him. And then when he prepares the table and he pours into us, 
the cup just keeps overflowing. The cup on that table just overflows and overflows and overflows because he's constantly pouring into our life benefits and blessings that we don't deserve. And ultimately, what he's poured into our glass, into our cup, is what he's poured out of himself on the cross, right? What he is, when he's poured himself and emptied himself, he did it so that our cup would be full. And not just full, but so that it would overflow. And then when it overflows, what comes out of our overflow is meant to spill over into the lives of the people around us. So then we come to the end. And we said that Psalm 23 is a song, and we all love music, and we know that any good, well-written song always has a great ending, right? you got to end it well. And so David does that in verse 6. Verse 6 is his one last proclamation to sum up and say, this is why being led by the good shepherd is the greatest thing in my life. So let's look at verse 6 together. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, my favorite word in this verse is maybe not what you think would be a favorite word. I think the word that we need to really camp out on is not goodness and not mercy. But I want us to stop for a minute and think about that first word, surely. I think that's probably the most powerful word in verse 6, surely. And you know what that Hebrew word that David uses there for, that, that we translate surely? You know what that word means? Surely. That's rocket science, right? It, it, you were waiting on me to give you some big, you know, deep meaning of what the word surely means. No, it means surely. It means absolutely. It's an um, emphatic affirmation of truth. It's as if David is saying, indeed, yes, absolutely true. Everything that I've said and everything that's going to come, it's absolutely true. Um, how many of you remember doing science projects when you were a kid in school? You know, the old school science, I, I think they still do it this way, where you've got the project and then you've got the backboard, right? The three-piece three backboard and you've got to fill the board. Like, I liked doing the project when I was a kid. I couldn't stand making the board. Like, can I just do the project without making the board? Um, but how many of you remember, here's another question. How many of you have done your kids' science projects before and you remember doing those? Oh, come on, be honest. You know you did it. You know you totally did, like, most of your kids' science projects for them. Um, so there's the, the board, and, and, and there's what they call the scientific method that they teach you in school. And, and they would teach us when we would do ours there were three parts to it. You had first the hypothesis, right? And the hypothesis was what you thought was going to happen. It was your best guess at what you, what you thought was going to be true. And then in the middle, you had the actual experiment, the test, where you would, you would gather the materials that you need, you'd put them together, and you would test your hypothesis, what you think would happen, and then you test it to see if it's true. And then on the other panel, you had your conclusion, which 
based on the experiment that I've done, what did I find to be the result? Verse 6 in Psalm 23 is that conclusion for David. Because when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, when we hear the gospel, whether it be as a, as a child or as an adult, there's some, there's some hypothesis in it. We're not sure. We think, we hear what we've been told about Jesus, and we think, well, if I do that, if I give my life to him, if I begin to follow after him, I, I think this is what will happen. Because it's, it's faith, right? We don't know. Hebrews 11 says that faith is the substance of things that we hope for and evidence of things that we can't see before you actually step foot and start to follow Jesus. You don't really know how it's going to be. But then your faith motivates you to actually take that step toward him. Take that step of faith to begin to follow after him. And that's like the experiment maybe. You're, you're taking the step to see, okay, is this really going to be true? And what David says at the end of verse 6 is, surely. Which is the conclusion to the experiment is, yes, absolutely. Based on everything that I've seen and everything that I've experienced in the Lord, yes, it's absolutely true. Jesus very quickly transitions from becoming a hope-so for our life to being a no-so in our life. Like Jesus, before you trust in him, it's like, well, I hope this is what he can do. We sang about it. All my hope is in Jesus, right? There's nothing else. I hope that following him is going gonna, is gonna to result in, in, in what he says is true. And so very quickly, when we take that step of faith, it goes from being a hope-so I hope this is true for my life too. I know Jesus is true in my life. (laughs) Does anybody say I know so this morning? Because he's in my life. I'm experiencing it. I know based on everything that I've encountered up until now and what I'm encountering right now that Jesus is a no so, not a hope so. So David is saying, surely... Here's a point to remember. Our experience with God in the past gives us confidence in what he will do in the future. When we go through those times where we wonder what God's going to do, is he going to show up? Is he going to meet my needs? Is he going to answer this prayer? Is he going to provide for me when I don't really see how he's going to do it? The way... We, we grab hold of confidence in what God is going to do is we just turn around and look back at what he's already done. Say, so he's already done it. He's already done it in my life before. He's not only done it in my life, but I'm seeing him do it in other people's lives already. And so now here's this thing that I'm facing. I'm going forward. Surely, David says, I know. I know it's going to happen in the future because I've seen it happen in the past. And God is eternal from age to age, and he never, ever changes. So it's for sure. Remember what uh, Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 1, verse 6. I am sure of this. 
What was he sure of? That he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He said, I'm sure of it. He didn't say, I hope so. Or I'm pretty sure that if Jesus started in you something, he's probably going to finish it. It's confidence. It's a surely that says, absolutely he's going to finish it. I know he will. And it's the same thing that David is saying in Psalm 23. Surely. Surely what? Like he's confident. So he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. All the days of my life. He's taking what he's seen God already do in the past, what he's experiencing in the present, and drawing confidence from those things to be able to say, absolutely, I know goodness and mercy are going to continue to follow me all the days of my life. Now, those two words, goodness and mercy, uh, your Bible may uh, use uh, loving kindness, different words. Those two Hebrew words there, are very, very similar. And they have just a, a, a slightly different meaning. They're not the same word. We would expect them when we go back to the Hebrew and look and say, wow, those, those may just be the exact same words, but they're not. One of those words represents more the benefits and the blessings that come from God. The other word describes more the goodness and the kindness of God's heart that results in the benefits and blessings. So when he says goodness and mercy, it's like he's talking about surely the good heart of God and the good benefits that come from the heart of God will continue to follow me. It's, it's not just about the stuff. It's not just about the circumstances for David. He's not saying surely all of my circumstances for the rest of my life are going to be great because he's already said that's not true. Valleys are going to come. Darkness is going to come. And it's going to be hard. But he says even when the circumstances aren't there, the goodness of God is. His heart is still there. It's, it's still good. Is there anybody this morning, I want you to wake up a little bit, is there anybody who would say that the kindness of God is real in your life today. Okay. Now, would you also testify and say that because of the goodness of God in your life, you have seen benefits and blessings come into your life as a result of his kindness and goodness being present? Amen. That's, that's what David is saying. He says, surely I'm experiencing God's goodness and the benefits of God's goodness now and I know beyond any doubt that I'm going to continue to experience the same thing. And it has nothing to do with David. It's all about him. It's because he's good. It's because he's faithful. So David then says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. But how long? Is there an expiration date on it? Is it going to go away? Is it going to run out? Is it going to fade? Nope. Because he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. All the days. And all the days means all the days. Like when you tell your kids, eat all your food. That means all your food. Pick up all your clothes. That means don't leave any. 
He says, all of the days of my life means there's not any day that's not included in all. You with me? I want you to repeat this after me. Boldly. Say, God is is always good. Always good. good. That's what that means. That's what David is saying. Listen to these verses. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 34. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is what? Good. His faithful love endures forever. Psalm 107, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is what? And his faithful love endures That's not a typo, y'all. Those two verses... One from First Chronicles and one in Psalm 107, they say the exact same thing. You know why? Because it's true. And it's always true. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is what? Good. And his faithful love endures when? Forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Again, all means all. So that doesn't mean that God was just faithful in David's generation, but his faithfulness endured in the next generation and the next generation. If you can say today that God has been faithful in my life, then you can also say that he's going to be faithful in the next generation. And then it's going to be faithful. He's going to be there in the next generation. And the next generation. And every generation that there is. It doesn't even just last for my lifetime. It goes beyond that. It's faithful for all generations. You know, I really felt like there's probably some of us here this morning that need to hear this truth more than maybe some some of the rest of us. Because um, you may have come in here this morning thinking that you're not so confident that God is as good as everyone says he is. Because right now, things aren't very good. Um, things may be for some of us. And we, gotta be, we have to be mindful of that every time we come together as a family. For some of us, things are great. And for others, it's not. And it may be the worst season that we can remember living through in a really long time. And some of us may be sitting right in this place and that's how you feel. And it always blows my mind how God will orchestrate when people come to me and they say, wow, like what I'm going through in my life and what you talked about today is just like like intersected so incredibly. And y'all, I don't, I'm not that smart. I don't do stuff like that. Like, I, I can't know those kind of things. That's, that's how the Holy Spirit works. And, he, and like, I knew I was going to be preaching this verse weeks ago today. But I've got enough confidence in him to know that this word is for, for us today because there's probably somebody here who says, man, I didn't come in here thinking God was that great. Because he doesn't seem to be coming through. There are needs that I have that aren't being met. There are things that I've been begging him to do that I haven't seen him do yet. And things are just really, really dark, and I just don't know. Everybody talks about how good he is, but I just, 
I'm not so sure. I feel like I'm in the valley of the shadow right now. Um, there's, a, there's a song, again, y'all know, I'm talking about songs and music all the time because I'm such a music nerd, but there's a song that I've found myself sharing with a lot of people lately um, that has become a really important song in my life uh, right now. And I've shared it with some of you guys individually. And uh, it's a song called Always Good. And it's written um, by my, my guy, Andrew Peterson. Surprise, surprise, right? I'm always talking about him. But this song helps me not forget this truth that we're talking about today. Because we, as God's children, and as his sheep, no matter what we are going through, we cannot forget this truth of God's constant, eternal goodness. We just can't let ourselves forget it. And this song helps me remember it. These are some of the lyrics. You're always good. Always good. And this is the one that just pierces my heart. This heartache is moving me closer than joy ever could. Isn't that true sometimes? That it's the heartache that we go through that draws us. We, we draw closer to God through the heartache sometimes than we ever could the joy. My God, my God, be near me. There's nowhere else to go. And Lord, if you can hear me, please help your child to know that you're always good. Always good. As we try to believe what is not meant to be understood. Will you help us to trust your intentions for us are still good because you laid down your life and you suffered like I never could. And you're always good. David in Psalm 23 says, The kindness of God and the blessings of his goodness are going to continue to follow me all of my days, not just the easy ones. Not just the ones that are full of light, but also the ones in the darkness. And I am surely confident that this is true because I've seen it time after time in my own life. He's, Psalm 23 is, is David reflecting on the past experience he's had with God. He's, he's writing about his present Life in the goodness of God. And because of that, he ends by reflecting on what the future has. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And then there's one more lyric. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You realize that for a believer... The days of my life don't end when you put me in the ground. Right? And so David says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So that doesn't mean the goodness and mercy of God is going to end in my life when you say nice words about me and bury me in the ground. Because my life hasn't ended. The days of my life are going to continue and they're going to go from being here to being in his presence. And so if the, the goodness and mercy of God is following me here, how much more 
am I going to get to experience it in eternity with him? Listen to what um, Jesus said in John 14. Familiar passage, but I want us to connect it back to what David says in this last line of Psalm 23. Jesus says in John 14, verse 1, don't let your heart be troubled. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. That's because we can let ourselves forget, right? He says, but don't. Don't let yourself forget. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. David says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So there's another connection between Psalm 23 and the words of Jesus. Jesus said, my Father has a house. And if we study the language of the Greek, he's saying, my father has a big dwelling place. And then Jesus says, in that big dwelling place, there are lots of individual dwelling places. Within the big one, there's lots of individual ones. And he says, I'm going to prepare one of those individual dwelling places for you. I want you to think about when your first child was born. Most of us can remember that. I hope that's something that you don't forget about. Some of us haven't experienced that yet, but some of us are preparing for that. Maybe we're getting ready to give birth to our first child, or we're not there yet, we're not even pregnant yet, but we're anticipating. We already have thoughts and dreams in our minds of what we're going to do. And when you get ready to bring a new baby into your family, what do you do? You have your house... And then you have a room that's for that child. And months ahead of time, you start preparing that room. You start picking out the colors on the wall. You start looking for things to hang on the wall. You start picking out the furniture. You begin to look for what's the floor going to look like? What's the ceiling going to look like? Every little thing. And you're beginning to plan and dream because you're preparing that room just for them. And sometimes for us to have multiple kids, like very few of us, I know for Kim and I, when Ben came along after Tyler was, we didn't just put Tyler in the room that was prepared for, I mean, put Ben in the room that was prepared for Tyler. We had to re-prepare it. Because it wasn't for Tyler anymore, it was for Ben. And Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms And I'm going to prepare one of those rooms for you. Think about the joy that you experience and the the excitement, the anticipation that you experience in getting that room ready for that baby to come home. You know why you get that room ready? is because you want to bring that baby home to live where you are. Because you're supposed to be together. And Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also 
you are my baby. You are my child, and I'm going to make a room that's just for you so that I can, come, I can get you and bring you to my house and put you in that room that's made just for you because there is nowhere else you're supposed to be except where I am. So David says, hundreds of years before Jesus would ever say that, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where else do you want to be? <laughs>